Welcome to Yes You, a podcast for women to imagine, explore, and step right on into a new paradigm of life and leadership. I'm Annie Carter, a conscious business owner, yoga practitioner, and a big believer that this world needs all women to show up just as we are. This world needs you. Yes, you. Are you in? Let's do this. Hey there, lovely. Thank you so much for being here today. Before we get into today's episode, I do just want to invite you once again to offer some feedback about this podcast. As I come to the end of the year, I'm just taking a moment to reflect and to look back over it. And I would love to know what you think. I'd love to know which episodes you're loving, what you'd like to hear more of, whether you have any particular questions. So please head to my website. It's anniecarter.com.au and you can go to the contact page there and just send me a message with your feedback, or you might find it easier just to go to Instagram. So it's at underscore Annie Carter and DM me there. I'm sincerely inviting and asking for your feedback. I really, really would love to know the things that you're loving and anything that you do want to see more of as I kind of plan how this podcast might shift and change, particularly heading into the new year. I would love to take your thoughts on board. So thank you in advance for doing that. Now, I know you are going to love today's episode. I am speaking with the wonderful Kirsta Hawkins. Kirsta is the owner of the business Mutual Muse. And if you are from northern suburbs of Melbourne, I imagine you have come across Mutual Muse. And if you haven't, oh my gosh, lucky you, what you're about to hear about. So Mutual Muse is a business where they buy and sell secondhand clothing. It's not an op shop. It's not a vintage store. You're going to hear more about how it all works. And Kista has two stores in the northern suburbs and also an online store. It's an amazing business. It's been really cool because our businesses started literally in the same month. So as Kista opened the doors to her first store, a couple of blocks up the road, I was opening the doors to Eve Studio. And our lives have kind of been intertwined since then. I am one of her customers. She is part of Eve as one of our our clients, comes, does yoga. And yeah, it's just been really cool being alongside her in life and in business. And yeah, I'm sure you're going to really enjoy this chat. So grab yourself a cuppa, settle in and enjoy. So Kirsta Hawkins, welcome to Yes You. Thank you so much. So good to be here. I'm so glad to have you here. I know I've said to you quite a while ago, hey, I'd love to have you on my podcast. I think maybe even before I started it or in the very early days. Yeah, I think it was the very beginning, but, you know, we kind of throw things out there and it's like, maybe it'll happen eventually, you know, maybe not, but then like it does and it's great. So it's always nice to put that kind of stuff out there. Yes, totally. Well, I'm glad that it's finally happening and funny that I should say, how about this week being the week that both of us are suddenly back into like reopening businesses after months, <laughs> months of being closed. Uh, Thank you for being willing to be up for it. Of course. I feel like I am more prepared to do it this week than I could have during lockdown anyway, because during lockdown, you know, your brain just doesn't function at the same capacity that it does normally. Or I found that mine didn't. And now that I'm busy again, I'm like, okay, right. I know how to think sort of. So yes, it's so true where it's sort of like, I can't actually like plan something like, or one thing felt like a big thing. And then now once you're into kind of the role of doing a few things, it still feels like a lot, I reckon, (laughs) getting back into it. It's It's still full on, but I think it's easier to do multiple things when you have kind of like a momentum going of stuff. So yes. Yeah, I agree. So as you know, at the beginning of every episode, I do an acknowledgement of First Nations people and I have invited you to share something. You were not born around these parts, but perhaps you could share something about the traditional owners of the land where you were born and if that's even the right terminology. Yeah, we don't use the term traditional owners in America, but I think that we should because I think that we have a lot to learn from the way that the Aboriginal people 
are spoken about in Australia. So the traditional owners of the land where I'm from, which is Phoenix, Arizona in the United States, are the Akimel O'Odam, also known as the Pima people, which is what they were called by the Spanish colonizers. And some fun facts about them is that they were extremely good at farming and they developed a series of canals that is still in use today throughout Phoenix. Phoenix is a desert. It's very hot there. But they managed to develop these canals, which look like little rivers going through the city. And then they used that water to kind of direct into their farms. Yeah. And they were really good at growing crops like beans and corn and squash and all kinds of things. So I think they had a really good diet. And yeah, you can still find them all over Phoenix. So it's great. Yeah. Wow. And is that still a living culture? Still... Yeah, absolutely. Um, Arizona is full of Native American people. There's not only the Pima, but the Apache and the Yavapai and the Hopi and the Navajo are probably the best known. They call themselves the Diné. Yeah, we have a very rich tradition of Native Americans in Arizona, which is fantastic. Mm, Amazing. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. Yes, you're so welcome. Yeah, so we have known each other for... I don't know, what would it be, six years or so? Yeah. Five, six years? Six years, I guess. Everything just seems like such a blur of time these days. Yeah, doesn't it? And I think back, because we both started our businesses, Eve and Mutual Muse, at about the same time, or were you a little bit earlier? I'm not actually sure. We were April 2014. Oh, yeah. Then maybe I guess I started a month after you, because I'm pretty sure it was in May that I opened the doors of the first shop. Yeah. Wow. You know, actually we opened in May too. I'm now thinking I started the lease in <laughs> April, had a wild month getting ready and then we opened in May. So right, twins. Yeah. So your business, Mutual Muse, can you tell us about that? What is it? How does it run? What's the story? So Mutual Muse is a secondhand clothes company and I have a store in Thornbury and in Brunswick and online as well. And we buy secondhand clothes directly from the public and we offer cash or store credit as payment. And the store credit is a very popular option. So it creates like a really nice circular economy. Um, You never know what you're going to find in there. Yeah, we love high quality designers, especially ethical, local, a few international, you know, a little bit of vintage, like some great basics, but just basically everything that everyone already wants to wear, but secondhand. So. I remember when I first kind of came across it and it felt quite unique because, and I think it's like within the framework that I had, I think I was sort of trying to go, is this an op shop or is this a vintage store or what? And it was kind of like, no, and no, (laughs) it's not quite either of those things. Yeah, no, I think that it is still kind of a new concept for a lot of people in Australia, which was so surprising for me when I opened the business because I mean, this model of business is very familiar to me having grown up in America. You know, like we have vintage stores here and we have op shops, but we don't have very many businesses that just sell like great contemporary clothes that you're already wearing. So I think that there's a huge market for that and I'm very happy to fill it. Yeah. So where did the idea come from for you? Obviously, you've just referenced being in America. That was pretty familiar and standard kind of business model? It basically came from, you know, growing up in America and this business model being very familiar. In my experience in America, there's so many of these kind of like intermediary secondhand stores, if you want to call them, you know, like there's just so many niches that you can get into with selling secondhand clothes because there are so many clothes out there. So you know, as a teenager, having a part-time job, you know, you don't have a lot of money. I always shopped in secondhand stores because it was cheap or cheaper than buying new clothes, which I could never really afford to do. But also it's like cool and alternative and you just like don't ever really know what you're going to find in there. And so I think it's just like a really fun way for me to explore my personal style. Um, So I just always loved shopping in these businesses. And then When I moved to Australia, which 10 years ago, like also gone by so fast, um, you know, I kind of was like, this is such a cool, fun place. Like I love Melbourne style so much. Um, And I sort of was like always waiting for somebody else to start this business that I 
you know, had valued so much previously and spent a couple of years like maybe somebody else will do it. And then they never did. And so one day I was just like, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start a secondhand clothes store. So yeah, that's kind of the the shorthand evolution of why I started it. Yeah. Wow. And how at that point, like, how did you start it? So the way that the idea came to me was like, this little bit of background information. I was working at a before and after school care center, which is like the least glamorous job that you can have. It was just like, so not fun. Um, You know, like I hated my life kind of, my boss was terrible and I was pregnant too. And, you know, I think I just got halfway through my pregnancy and I was like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. Like I just need something to be good kind of. And like, I just always had this feeling that, you know, like I needed to do something that felt purposeful and meaningful in my life, you know, and I was always kind of searching for that through my jobs, but I never quite found it. So I thought about it a lot. And actually a therapist at the time who I talked to about this problem, you know, she said like, just think about like how you want to be at your job and like, think about what do you want to be wearing? Who do you want to be talking to? Like, what do you want the environment to feel like? And so I just like thought about that a lot. And actually, I think you talked about this recently in an episode of your podcast. And I was like, oh, yes, that's exactly how I started my business. Like, you know, so I just thought about what I wanted it to be like a lot, not necessarily like what the business would be. But you know, and I was like, I want to wear cool clothes. I want to play with style, you know, like, I just want to have fun. I want to talk to people and, you know, create some good and some change in the world. And so I just thought about that a lot. And then like, one day I was just like, ah, I know what it is. It's secondhand clothes. I'm going to do secondhand clothes. Like it just like, it was like a light bulb went off in my head and I just became like obsessed with the idea. And so I had a job at the time and my mom was like, please don't quit your job. Like just get maternity leave. You know, like you can't start a business when you're six months pregnant. So I didn't, I stayed at my job. Yeah. And of course, like naively thought that I would just start the business. Like as soon as I had my baby, which did not happen. It took a long time, probably like a year or a year and a half. And then, yeah, eventually I felt like ready to do it. So I did it. I love that. I love that um, we have kind of parallel stories in that way of just the kind of imagining of like just the kind of feel of like what what do I want to feel like in my life and then not necessarily about the detail or specifics but that then it sort of it's like you recognize it when you come across it. It's like, yeah. yes, I think that yeah. could be it. Like, yeah. It just like aligned somehow. I mean, I feel like the little genius fairy just like came into my head and it just it just made sense. And like all the other jobs that I've ever had in my life, like just didn't quite get there, you know? So yeah, I was kind of like trying to figure out how I could start this business. Like, and I've never, I don't have any background in fashion or in business ownership at all. Never done anything like this before, but I knew a couple other women who had businesses and I was like, okay, if they can run a business, like I can probably do something like that. So yeah, I just got like a big pile of clothes together and took photos of all of them. And we made a website. And turns out it's really hard to get people to go to a website, like just straight off the bat. So, you know, I spent a couple months like trying to make the website happen. And, you know, we'd make like $50 in sales a month, which was very exciting at the time. But it was very, very slow starting. And I had a baby, my daughter. And eventually, my brother moved over from America to live with my me and my husband at the time. Um, and he helped me take care of my daughter. And so that gave me a little bit of space to do some work. And it was just like a very, very slow progression of trying different stuff out and then seeing what worked and kind of doing more of that and less of the stuff that didn't work. And then after a couple of months, I was like, wow, there's a thing called markets in Australia. Like you can just go to a market and sell your clothes. Like I never knew about those. And for some reason, I suddenly figured that out. And so I started selling at markets every weekend. And, you know, we'd pack up the entire car with all of the stock and move it out to, you know, do Fitzroy Market was my favorite one. Yeah, set up the market stall and, you know, like, make some money on the weekend. And um, I did that for about six months and then pretty quickly realized that like, if I wanted to make decent money, you know, I really just needed to get a shop. And there was this rundown hair salon in Thornbury that had been, you know, disused for like at least six months or a year. And I was like, that's the right one. Yeah. So 
signed the lease. You know, we took out a very small personal loan and yeah, just kind of did it on a shoestring budget. And it just grew like really slowly over time. You know, like we were very excited to open, but a lot of people didn't really kind of understand the business model because we'd kind of have a lot of people who were curious and come in and they liked to buy op shop clothes, but they were like, these clothes are more expensive than an op shop. Like, why are they so expensive? Yeah, I think for the first couple of years, it was just about like educating people on what we were doing, which worked eventually and people caught on to it. So yeah, it was really good. And at first, everybody wanted the cash. And then slowly as the business grew, they were like, okay, yeah, I do want the store credit. Like I want to I want to spend my money here. And now like everybody loves the store credit because it's just like a really great way to get rid of your clothes and then just get some new stuff. So amazing. Yeah. I remember the first time I came in there, I was not so much like, oh, this is expensive. I remember seeing like things like Gorman things and like things of different labels and it being them being you know, depending on the item, sort of whatever, $32 or 60 something dollars or whatever. And just kind of going, that is cheap for what that is. And that they were all in really good condition. And uh, yeah, I was more kind of like, what is this place? And it just, yeah, I felt like I kind of came in, didn't realize what a treasure trove it was going to be. And then like, oh my gosh, like this is awesome. Especially in the early days, we had to really distinguish ourselves from an op shop, you know, like, and so I always pick like the clothes have to be clean. They have to be in excellent condition, you know, and we steam everything before they go out. And that kind of helps keep everything very tidy looking and fresh. And yeah, yeah, we love the designers. And I've always tried to price them just like slightly less expensive than what everyone else was selling them for. Cause I really do like fashion should be accessible for everybody. And so like, if you want to wear those like super fun designers, then secondhand is the best way to find them. I would say. Mm, yeah, totally. Yeah. I feel like it opens up that world so much more than if, you know, for those of us who would otherwise be kind of like, I'll just save my pennies and maybe get one of those sort of nice things or, you know, more expensive things every now and then or whatever. It just becomes a lot more accessible doing it secondhand. Yeah. And I think it's a lot easier to play that way too, especially if you're getting the store credit, because, you know, it's a lot less of a risk to spend $300 on, for $300, you can get like an entire new season's wardrobe, whereas like otherwise $300 might be like one dress. So Yes. Yeah, that's right. I have actually found it's it's also being in your store has kind of at times I've sort of taken more of like the <laughs> risky, I'm doing inverted commas, like, you know, a risky purchase of just like, I'm not sure if I'm going to love this, but. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I think it's really risky to try new stuff when you're spending, you know, like I'm air quoting like real money. I always refer to real money as like buying like not secondhand clothes, but you know, like if you're going to spend a couple hundred bucks on a piece, potentially, you know, you want to know that you really love that item and you might not be as willing to kind of step out of your comfort zone a little bit. Whereas if you're getting the piece for like a fourth of its retail value, then you're like, oh, well, you know, I'll just wear it a couple times. And if it doesn't work out, then, you know, you can always just pass it on. So yeah, but it's different, isn't it? than fast fashion and like that sort of cheap fashion where it's like, you know, oh, it doesn't matter. This is only 15 bucks anyway for this singlet or whatever. So like where it's actually just being produced so fast, it's not sustainable or anything like with yours, it tends to be more like real quality items, good design, like what you're saying, more ethically produced in general. So it's kind of a good way to do a cheaper option as well. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, we always pick higher quality items. We try to stay away from all fast fashion brands. We very rarely buy synthetic fabrics because I find that they just don't really stand the test of time, you know, and you want to get like good wear out of your purchases. So selling high quality secondhand clothes, I think it's a good way to get a lot more wear out of your pieces. And so you talk about this circular economy. What's that? Yeah. So the circular economy is basically just like buying things initially that you know are going to last the test of time, taking care of them so that they do last the test of time, and then finding a responsible way to get rid of them, whether that is selling your clothes to a store like Mutual Muse or, you know, mending them and cleaning them before you donate them to the op shop so that somebody else can use them. And so if you're selling your clothes to Mutual Muse, for example, you can get the store credit and then you can get new clothes for the same kind of value. Um, And then it's just sort of like a circular system in which you 
take the clothes, you use them for as long as you want to use them, and then you can resell them again and get the value back because there is value in high quality clothing items. Whereas if you're buying fast fashion, for example, there's no resale value. They're going to fall apart after a couple wears. Yeah. And they just don't really have that kind of longevity. So their lifespan is very short. Whereas if you're buying a high quality item, it can stay in the system for a lot longer. And like I have seen the same pieces come through the shop a few times, which is always really exciting because you're like, oh my God, I wore this dress like four years ago. And I remember the last person who bought it. Now somebody else is buying it. And it's like, you don't have to feel guilty about getting rid of it because it's still a great piece. And you know that somebody else is going to use it. Yes, totally. You know, we're in like quite a connected little community, like where where we are both with studios and stores right near each other, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But yeah, like the number of times that I'm like, hey, did you buy that at Mutual Muse? Like I, I sold that to Mutual Muse. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, oh, we could have cut out the middle person there and I could have just given it to you or you bought it straight from me. But then I'm like, but isn't it actually awesome that also that Kirsten, that you benefited from this and that your team's employed through this. And like, it's just really cool. It's like, everybody wins. It's so fantastic that we've grown this like amazing community in like the Thornbury Preston area, you know, and now it's extended to Brunswick as well, obviously. Um, But I can't even count the amount of times that I've been in Eve and then seen a customer or been like, I know where you got that top from, you know? So yeah, it's like, my customers are your customers. And I know that we also have a lot of other businesses around us that are included in that. So it's really fantastic. Totally. Well, I feel like actually even the first day, I think it's the first day that I met you, I had been in Mutual Muse and I'd bought something and then I was wearing it at Eve and you came in for a class and you're like, Hey, nice top. And I was like, thanks. And I went to say, oh, I just bought it at this place. And then I was like, Oh, hang on. That's you. Who are you? Like it's from me. there. Yeah. <laughs> and we made that connection. And I love that you have also, like almost like you have this relationship with so many of the, the pieces of clothing. Like, I mean, I imagine as it's grown, it's probably not as much the case that you see every single item, but like that you're like, Oh, there it goes. It's gone to you. And yeah, you know. well, actually one of my special skills in life is I have a photographic memory of clothes and designers. And like, so if I have seen the clothes in the store, like I can remember who bought them or who sold them to me. And it's a cool thing. It doesn't happen as often as it used to when it was just me in the store, but you know, it's still fun to remember. Yeah, that's so cool. And so, yeah, you encourage people to explore their personal style rather than just following trends. How does someone find their personal style? I mean, I think it's a little bit different for everybody, but I would say basically just like identify what feels good on your body and what you feel good in and what you feel attracted to. And that changes over time. So, I mean, I really like to challenge myself personally just to like try a new little thing. Like I've been wearing a lot of color after lockdown, whereas like three years ago, I was like only black and white and red were the only colors that I ever wore. And now I'm like an explosion of a rainbow, you know? So yeah, I would say just find what feels good. And a fun little game that we like to play at the shop sometimes that a former staff member of mine suggested was to identify your power looks. And so you can kind of like make a fun name for them. Um, And so like my power looks, for example, are daytime pajamas. Like I love to be comfortable, you know, like sexy art lady. So like a little bit of like sexy, but like you could wear it to the gallery too. And like Arizona stoner is my other power look, Um, which anybody who knows me, like that's basically my main power look. But yeah, so you kind of can just like give them fun little names and like, see like, okay, does this piece fit into this? Or do I need a new power look? Or, you know, like, and you kind of just, I don't know, I just think that having the element of play associated with style is the most important thing for me and for exploring your personal style, because it doesn't really have to be very serious. And, you know, if you like one thing today, you can like something completely different tomorrow and it might not have anything to do with what you wore yesterday. And it's just like, you know, today I feel like wearing this and tomorrow I feel like wearing this. And, you know, if you want to wear jeans and a t-shirt every day, like that's great. Like I have an eight-year-old, I pretty much wear jeans and a t-shirt like most of the time, you know. So you don't need to be like, I'm so fashion because you're exploring your personal style. It can just be really simple kind of stuff. So... Yeah, I remember first hearing you talk about that and just finding it really intriguing and, and really fun. And and I think it also actually helped me to make 
kind of sense of what was going on internally for me around style. I might have referenced this actually. I did an episode where I'm talking about doing the Project 333, just wearing the 33 items. And that, yeah, for one of the things for me, it was kind of like there's definitely these two kind of categories that I feel like I kind of land in most of the time. One is kind of more like earthy, like earthy colours, a bit more flowy, that kind of thing. And then there's kind of more this, I remember having this from like being a, from being about a 12 year old. And I used to look at some like teenage guys, <laughs> like surfy kind of guys wearing like trackies and I don't know, whatever. And I remember always being like, if I was a boy, I'd like to dress like that. And then now I identify as a woman and I dress like that anyway sometimes because <laughs> I'm just like, I just like that kind of hip hoppy, like, yeah, baggy trackies, super comfy, that kind of thing. And, and it's kind of nice for me rather than feeling really conflicted with that to go, you know, that's okay. Like one day I'm going to really rock that look. And then another day, the total what feels like a really opposite one and that it's just playful anyway. It doesn't matter. It is playful. And I think also style can be a really great way to explore like, you know, gender roles and stuff because like, you know, one day you might want to wear like a really feminine dress, but then the next day, you know, you're like in a more masculine style. And like, I also identify as a woman, but sometimes it is fun to dress, you know, boyish or whatever, or more masculinely. Yeah. And it's totally fine. And it's a totally safe way to do that. So it's great. Mm. And I don't know if I'm just making it too deep now at this point, but like, <laughs> like I think in some ways it's like this outward expression of an inner reality that it's, it's really important that we allow ourselves to kind of be whoever we are and for that to have different expressions, that there are going to be times where we want certain things or focus on particular things or like that there are shifts and change changes in what we need or what we want or who we express ourselves as, the things that we do. And I think sometimes it's just so easy to kind of feel like, oh, no, people know me as someone who's sporty. So I can't suddenly start to like play the guitar or like I'm meant to be arty, but so therefore I can't, I don't know, take up tennis or, (laughs) and it's like quite a liberating thing, I think, to just recognize some of those boxes that we put ourselves in and to, to break out of it. And then maybe in a way playing with clothes could be part of how we do that. Yeah. I mean, I think that playing with clothes is a great way to do that. And, you know, like, I think we're really fortunate to live in Melbourne because Melbourne is just like such an expressive part of the world. And it feels like a very safe place to explore these things because I think that you can wear literally whatever you want here and nobody cares. Like, you know, if you want to wear like a neon leotard with blue hair down the street, like no one is even going to look at you, you know? And so it's just like fun, multicultural, safe place to just be whoever you want to be. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I love that that's your perception of Melbourne, but even like, actually, as you say that, I'm like, yeah, I reckon I probably saw someone walking down yesterday in a neon leotard. Exactly. So it's like, mm -hmm. you're not like, oh my God, that person. You're just like, "Hmm, yeah, cool. Whatever. And so So, true. Yeah. I was walking along the street where we uh, both were and we still are high street one time and I had a guy walk past me with an octopus on his head, like a live octopus. A live that, octopus? Yes, that caught my attention. Okay, that's that's unusual, yes. I would say a live octopus as an accessory is not something that I've seen before. Yeah, so, you know, people can still, still wow us. I love to be surprised, honestly. Like, you know, you feel, I feel like I've seen it all in this business, but like every time I'm surprised, it's like such a joy. So, you know please surprise me people. It's great. (laughs) Yes. So going back to the point that you made the call to actually start this business, like a lot of people have ideas for things, but most people don't actually do them. Like in terms of business ideas, what made you actually do it? Like you were, it didn't sound like you were someone who was looking to start a business. It was more like you had this idea. Is that right? I would say that it felt more like a calling than a you know, like I want to make money. I got the idea in my head. And as soon as I had that, like, it just wouldn't leave me alone. Like I just kept going back to it. And I was just, you know, like, I think after I thought of the idea, I just didn't sleep for like a week because I was like, oh my God, I know what it's going to be, you know? And so I think that that feeling of it being a calling rather than 
a job probably helped a lot. But also like at the time, like I said, I was just so miserable with my employment options. And, you know, like I just felt like I needed, I felt like I was capable of doing so much more than I had, you know, done so far in life. And I had explored a lot of different employment options and just nothing ever really was it. And so, yeah, I feel like I just was so desperate not to go back to the job that I had been working on when I started Mutual Muse, that that's kind of the motivation, you know, and in previous employment situations, like I've just had so many exceptionally bad bosses, like just really toxic work environments. And I was like, I want to live and be in a place where I don't have to be like that all the time. You know, like I don't want to feel gross at work. I just want to have a fun time and I want to help other people feel fun. Um, And so, yeah. And I think that knowing other women who own businesses was also very helpful because I, I was like, yes, you can do it. You're fine. I will try to do this also and I will be fine. So yeah, just having like a community of other women, especially to talk to and be like, I'm having this issue, like what's going on for you? Um, You know, that's always really helpful. Mm. I think you seem good at kind of creating that for yourself as well. I remember quite early in the Eve days when you approached me for us to go for a cuppa and just to chat about business. And that was really great. I love hearing about other people's businesses and just like what they do. Um, And I think, like I said, I have no background in business or in fashion. And so, you know, like if I need to learn something, I will just ask somebody who I think might know that, or you just go on Google and you don't, you know, do some research until you can figure it out. Yeah, totally. And so it has always fascinated me that your business has kind of built into the way that it works, this need for you to say no to people like every day. So people come in with their clothes and you are going to take some and not take some. And I guess that's a different model than some other similar places where they will take them on like consignment or like, so just kind of, then they don't care what they take because they'll just sort of go, well, we'll just put it up there. And if it sells, then you get paid. And if not, but because you're actually paying people right then and there or, or offering them that store credit, you have to be quite selective about what you take, but it's quite a personal thing, people's clothes. And so for you to have like every day, people coming in going, here's my beautiful clothes and you having to say no to some of them. Yeah. Let's start with that. How do you handle that? (laughs) How do I handle that? I mean, with great care and consideration, I would say it's like never, never easy to say no to somebody, especially if I'm feeling like in a tender position that day, I'm just like, Oh my God. Okay. Like I have to say no to this lady. Like just, you know, so you have to take kind of a deep breath and you just have to deliver the information. Um, but like, we know that it's part of our jobs. It, we have to do it every day. And so like you do kind of get used to it after a while. But at the end of the day, like I think you just know what's going to sell and what's not going to sell. And that's why we are experts in what we do because like, you know, we know what our market is and we know who our customers are. And, you know, we have to say no to some really beautiful clothes. And so I've said no to Chanel before because it's like, I just know that that's not what my customers want to buy. So it's not even like I'm just saying no to fast fashion. It's you know, we also say no to very high end things as well, because I just know that they're not going to sell for us. When you have to deliver that information, you kind of just take a deep breath. And some people are totally fine with it. They're just like, no worries, whatever. And some people do get very upset. And some people are like, what about this thing? Or what about this thing? Like this thing's so great. This thing still has the tags on it, you know, and they kind of want to like argue with you a little bit. And you know, you just have to kind of calmly explain like this one isn't right for the season. We just have a lot of this item at the time. And so there are a lot of kind of lines that you can give people that are helpful and true. Also, we see like thousands of pieces of clothes a day sometimes. And so we are saying yes and no to like so many items. Um, And I think all you have to do is spend, you know, a couple weeks in the shop and see like, like small black dresses, we get so many small black dresses, like size six and eight and black it doesn't sell as well as the colors for us, even though people in Melbourne do wear a lot of black, Um, but it just doesn't like pop on the racks. And so, you know, like you just have to spend time in the space and kind of see like, okay, people are not wearing that kind of clothes anymore. And, um, you know, now they want this sort of thing. And so, yeah. And I mean, when you say no to people, like it does have consequences sometimes, like 
you know, people leave us bad reviews on the internet and people get really angry at us sometimes. And, you know, you kind of just have to take a deep breath and like, at the end of the day, it's just part of the job. And it is the hardest part of the job. And I think that people can have a a certain perception of us based on that action, you know, of having to say no to them. We all just try to learn not to take that personally, because at the end of the day, we're just trying to do our job. So yeah, for sure. Because obviously that you were the first one doing that, like doing all of it. And as you've taken on staff, how have they gone with that aspect of the business? And what do you do to kind of support them? Like they need pep talks sometimes or? (laughs) I mean, I need a pep talk sometimes because especially coming out of lockdown, you know, when you haven't talked to anybody and you're like, oh my God, okay, I have to say no. Um, You know, we all just try to be really sensitive with each other and, you know, we communicate a lot. And if we know that somebody's having a tender day, then, you know, you might try to like help out a little bit with that, you know, and kind of like unpack it at the end of the day and just see like if there's anything that we can improve on. And but it is kind of like getting thrown in the deep end a little bit. Like when you start working at Mutual Muse, I'm like, okay, you're ready. You do it. And you can always tell sometimes when some customers are going to be pretty angry when they receive that information, you know, but you kind of just have to go for it. And I guess it's just that thing, isn't it? That it's like, you're not obligated to buy anybody's clothes. It's not, but it's, I feel like sometimes there can almost be that, that sense of just like, well, these are good and they're in good condition and I bought them. So someone else should buy them. And yeah. So why won't you buy them from me right now? (laughs) Yeah. Or people will be like, I spent $600 on this thing and they want to tell you the entire story of the item, you know, and you're like, that's, that's so great. And I really respect that, but that's just not right for me. You know, that's not right for this space or our customers. Um, I remember like in the early days, you know, we live in a very Italian and Greek neighborhood and there are a lot of old ladies in the neighborhood and they would come into the shop and try to sell me their fur coats a lot to like, you know, everybody has a fur coat in their wardrobe that, you know, like their grandma bought from somewhere or something, and they're trying to get rid of it. And fur coats are very expensive too, but like people don't want to buy them at Mutual Muse. They just don't sell well for us. And so sometimes, you know, the fur coats especially can be pretty comical because we're like, I'm really sorry. I know that this was an expensive item, but like, it's just, it's just not right for us. So, you know, But yeah, people will bring in bags of clothes that are like new with tags, like you can look at them and know that they spent thousands of dollars on these clothes. But it's not about being new with tags or like the designers necessarily. It's just about, you know, it being right for the space. Yeah. Well, I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing how you you do that. And I think in contrast, I've always just felt like at Eve, it's so rare that we would have anybody upset about anything because there's just not really that much to be upset about coming into to a yoga class or a fitness class or whatever, you know, just big respect for you kind of that that's something that you manage on a daily basis and still seem to be okay. We're still chugging <laughs> along. We still have a business despite the fact that people get angry at us from time to time, you know. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, like I've had friends sit by while I'm doing my job, you know, you're kind of just like chatting in the shop and then have to like buy clothes from somebody and then deliver a no thank you to them. And they're like, I can't believe that you just did that. That made me feel so nervous. Like I was terrified even just watching you do that. Like, you know, and so it's, it's not for everybody, but you know, somehow, and personally I am very direct and I just know what I have to say. So I just say it. And yeah, sometimes I think I could be a little bit more gentle about the way that I deliver that information, but at the same time, that's just how my voice sounds. So, you know. Yeah, sure. And in some ways, like as someone who has brought in clothes to there and and that you have bought many and not bought others. And, you know, in some ways it's just kind of like, just rip the bandaid off. Like, you know, it's okay. Exactly. Honestly, like I bring my clothes into the shop sometimes and sometimes the staff deny some of my pieces too. So I'm just like, excuse me, I'm your boss. Like, how dare you say no to my clothes? But like, they're doing their job. They know what they're doing. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah, sure. I like that. And you have so many people come through your store. So you get to encounter so many people. What do you feel like you've learned about people through running your business? Oh, this is like the hardest question, honestly, because I feel like I'm still trying to figure people out really. I don't know. I mean, I think that people are unpredictable and beautiful and lovely and, you know, their reactions are not based on me 
really most of the time. Like if somebody gets angry at me, or for example, like it doesn't have anything to do with me. It has to do with where they're coming from, you know, and what their day is. And so I always try to just be super compassionate to people in that situation or customers. But honestly, like, I don't know about people. (laughs) They're very confusing to me. So it's a work in progress learning about them. Totally. I get that for sure. I feel like at this point I should just insert this piece of information that a few years ago I was looking at a space when we had our, I had our, my Preston studio and was looking at a space in Brunswick and I had talked to you a while before and I knew that it, you were possibly considering another store at some point as well. So I found this space in Brunswick It was massive and um, bigger than what I needed for Eve. And it occurred to me that maybe you might be interested in subleasing some of it. So we had a get together. We caught up, had a little cuppa. And I remember actually like was quite far into the conversation that I put this idea to you because I think in that conversation you were sort of saying, oh, I I think maybe I've let go of that for a little while, like I'm not going to kind of force it to open another space or whatever. But then eventually I was like, well, just in case it's of interest, I found this space and would you be interested in considering? And like even right then and there I felt like you were like, yes. (laughs) And then was it that day that I took you and we went and saw it? Yeah, you were like, I'm actually going there now. Do you want to go? And I was like, oh, my God. Oh, yes, I do want to go there now. Okay, great. (laughs) Yeah. And, yeah, so we went and we had a look at this space together. And I remember, yeah, just feeling like you were what felt to me very quickly, just like all in, yes, this will work. Let's make it happen. Is that normal for you? I think that it is normal for me. I mean, like, I take a long time sometimes to, like, chew over an idea. But when I have decided on something, I make it happen very quickly. Yeah. And I think that I'm really just looking for, like, a feeling in my body of, like, yes. You know, like, when your chest just sort of makes this, like, this is correct feeling. Um, Yeah. And as soon as you said, like, do you want to go look at it? I was like, yes, I do. You know, and I had already kind of been planning on opening a store on Sydney Road anyway. And so it just it just felt like the universe was like, here you go. Here's the thing that you've been trying to find for the last two years. And it was just it just felt so easy. So, yeah, it just felt like the right decision. I love that. And sometimes I wonder what part that you played for me in kind of getting me over the line of saying yes too at that point because that was only a year or so after I had opened Preston and that was a huge process and I was kind of still recovering (laughs) in lots of ways and so I think for me I was just like whoo like do I have it in me to do this again yeah and I mean I had the same thing like when I saw the space it was just like oh no it's perfect like I think I'm gonna do it like it was like too good to not not go with. But I did have some hesitation and I think your enthusiasm probably helped me to kind of connect in with my own enthusiasm about yeah. it as well. Like, well, I'm glad I could, could help be awesome. you. And now we all benefit from having that beautiful building in Brunswick. I mean, it is it was such a big building when we first took it over. I had a hard time envisioning how we could possibly fill up that much space, but yeah, no, it's worked so well. So I'm really happy there. Yeah. Same. I know. And it does just feel like, like what we were saying before, having this kind of such a huge crossover in terms of the community who access our services. So yeah. So lovely to kind of be co-located in that way. Yeah. I mean, and it's so exciting to see a project go from like basically an empty warehouse to like a dirty construction site just filled with dust and rubble and stuff. And then like somehow these businesses can grow out of that space, you know, so it's it's such a fun project to like see from start to finish. And now both of our businesses are just like well and truly established in those spaces. So it's so, so much fun to see how they evolve. Yeah, because I think there's a behind the scenes kind of thing that you only get as the owner of a business. And it's nice, even like I have a photo of you and me from that first day when we went to have a look at it and we took a selfie together and it was just like a big empty shell of a space. That was the beginning. And and in some ways, no one could really know the whole story of what it took to kind of get it from that to what it is now. But yeah, it was so nice to do that alongside each other. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's just so much fun to like 
see your business grow up alongside another business and like all this community of businesses that we're a part of too, you know, it feels so collaborative and yeah, it's just nice to grow up together. And so you were diagnosed a few years ago with autism. Can you share what that was like for you to receive that diagnosis as an adult and yeah, what that's meant for you? So I have several family members with autism as well. So I, you know, I'm pretty familiar with it. Um, And I never really thought that that was me because I think you are always conditioned to hear that autistic people are male, you know, and you never really hear about females with autism. Um, But I read an article on the internet, actually, it was just a piece written by a woman who had also been diagnosed in her 30s. And it was just all about her experience. And I read this and I was like, fuck, like that is me. I was just so blown away. Like this woman's experience is exactly like mine. And so it was really bizarre to like read and then come to that information via an art, you know, like via an article on the internet. But, you know, and I was like, I thought about it for a couple of weeks and I told some friends and I was like, I think I'm going to go get a diagnosis. Like, I feel like that this is, you know, and I was really terrified to go get diagnosed because you know, I was like, what if they say that I'm not autistic and then I'm just a freak, you know, like, and I felt like, like for my whole life, I really felt like I was like an alien in a human body, basically. Like, and I could just never figure out why things were so hard for me that were not hard for other people. And I was like, I just can't believe, like, why am I just not able to cope with these things? You know, like, why can't I function like most people can, you know? And so, I did go get diagnosed. Um, It's kind of a process to go through, but I was very happy that I did it. And once I received the diagnosis, like I just immediately burst into tears and I was like, just so overwhelmed with joy. And like, just it, it was like, I finally received the instruction manual to my life that I had not been given as a child, you know? Um, And I had been operating under the you know, the neurotypical instruction manual. And now I had all these new things. And it was like, it's just crazy to learn that the things that I struggle with so much are not because I'm broken, but just because my brain works differently than everybody else's does. Um, Yeah. And so it's just been like, the most fantastic process to kind of learn what that means and, you know, reach out to other autistic people and learn about their experiences and other autistic women as well. Um, so it's, I mean, it's changed my life really. Yeah. How has it played out in your life and your work? Like what, how has it changed it? Well, I think like I spent a lot of time researching on the internet and just like reading books after I was diagnosed, um, and talking to other people. And there's like a very popular saying amongst the autistic community. Like if you've met an autistic person, then you've met one autistic person because we all have such different qualities and some things that are hard for me are easier for other autistic people. And so there's, it's really mixed bag of symptoms and things that we experience, but yeah, it's just been so enlightening and so much fun to kind of go through my life and the way that I am and be like, wow, that's because I'm autistic, not because I'm terrible. So, you know, just like kind of like learning things and it still happens. Like, I think I was diagnosed about four years ago, um, but I'm still like, oh, that's autism. I, I didn't even put that together, you know? So it's just, it's really fun to learn about yourself in a whole new way. And just, I feel totally liberated also because I don't, you know, I went to therapy for years trying to like figure out how to be on time for things. Like I have a really hard time being on time for things. And I just really, really struggle. And I'll get really anxious before, you know, if I know that I'm going to be late for something. And so I saw a therapist for a couple of years, like just trying to work on this specific problem and then being like, wow, I, it's, I'm not broken. It's fine. So, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I guess I imagine that there are things that you're like, oh, wow. Like that makes sense of that real strength that you have, like in particular areas. And then yeah, things that have been tough for you or yeah, the things where you felt like, why am I not kind of doing it the way that other people are doing it or processing in the same way? Yeah. I mean, so like some of the strengths that I have as an autistic person, like, which actually are very beneficial for my job. Um, you know, like I have a photographic memory. I'm very good at remembering things 
that are in a very specific camp of information, like everything else I'm terrible at remembering. Um, but yeah, you know, like my special interest is secondhand clothes and designers and fashion. And so like, I can just spend hours and hours and hours like learning about things or researching things in that, you know, and I never get tired of it. It's just like such a joy to me, you know, and I have other little special interests as well. Um, yeah, it's hard to think of positive things. I mean, sometimes, you know, you only think of the the scary bits. Um, but like some of the things that I struggle with are like executive functioning is what it's called. So like being able to plan and execute a series of tasks, um, it can be quite difficult for me sometimes. So like leaving the house in the morning is like one of the hardest times of day because, you know, you have to like wake up and brush your teeth and wash your face and you know, eat something. And I have an eight year old also. So she needs to be taken care of and gotten to school on time. And, you know, you have to exercise and walk the dog and like, making sure that I eat breakfast is one of the hardest parts of my day, because I can often forget to eat, which can just send me into a downward spiral of, you know, everything. Um, Yeah, so executive functioning is like, really the one that I was like, wow, like, you know, because I just see other people performing these things so like easily or what I perceive to be easy. Um, and that is pretty much a struggle for me, like every day. Um, yeah. And like other challenging bits are like, um, I struggle with sensory input. So like bright lights and shiny things are very, um, I don't, they make me feel very uncomfortable and very not well, you know? So, um, and like sounds are not as bad, but like the bright lights and the, and the shiny bits are just like really hard um, smells, you know, like touch. Um, I really don't like synthetic fabrics. They feel really weird on my skin, you know, um, clothes that are too restrictive. Like, you know, there's just, it's such a mixed bag of like various things. Um, yeah. And I would say the other thing that I really struggle with is people and how to relate to them and also how to make friends. Um, because autistic people just operate on a completely different level. And not everyone really understands that or knows to be sensitive enough to that. And so it it can't, I mean, although like, honestly, most adults really struggle to make friends, I think. So, you know, um, but yeah, just like maintaining a connection with somebody and knowing, you know, like I'm air quoting, like the right things to say or the right ways to behave around people. Um, other people can perceive me as a bit bizarre or something. Yeah, it's just interesting hearing your reflections and like, I guess, your self-perception. I think of you as just like kind of a straight shooter. Like you just, you say what you think and in lots of ways is is quite endearing and is yeah. just who you are. But like, some people can be very triggered by that. And I find especially the the directness is one of the things that people have the most responses to. And I've had, you know, I've been bullied for that and I've been like, verbally assaulted out in public and you know just like people can be and I do think that some neurotypical people can perceive autistic people or other neurodiverse people and they know that something's different but they don't know what it is and so they get scared and they react very strongly about it um and so that can always be a little bit scary yeah I'm sorry that you've experienced that that's really crap it is really crap but I mean I think it's just like I wish that people were just more sensitive to everybody in general, you know, whether neurodiverse or neurotypical, like, you know, just kind of like try to read the room and see where everybody's at. And like people's reactions don't always have to do with the person in front of them, you know, like it might be because I'm hungry or because I've had a really stressful day already or, you know, so there's like all kinds of different reasons why somebody might have a reaction that you're not accustomed to. Yeah, sure. And so since having your diagnosis and sort of being able to make sense of some of the things that you already knew were things, like let's say that about the executive functioning and the just getting going in the morning, is that really just then for you like an understanding of it or does it equip you with any, I guess, tools or like do you do it differently because you know it's part of autism or I think that it helps me just to be kinder to myself and know that these things are things that I am going to struggle with probably no matter what and I can put systems in place to 
help, but I actually also really struggle with systems and kind of like following a plan that I've made for myself. And so, you know, I just have to kind of approach the way that I am with like, just being really kind to myself and being like, some days I'm going to have a really great day. And some days I'm going to like, I'm air quoting function the way that I'm supposed to. And some days I'm not. And, you know, that can be very unpredictable sometimes. And so I just really have to be open and flexible with myself. And, you know, some days I'm going to get a lot done. And some days I need to stay in my bedroom and nobody needs to talk to me for 12 hours because I really need to decompress from the world. Because people often ask me, like, how do you run a business and you're autistic at the same time? You know, which like, I am confused about how that happens every day, but somehow, somehow it gets done. Um, And I will say that I think the key to the success in that situation is that I'm really good at collaborating and I have a really good team of people around me. Um, And I'm really good at identifying where people's strengths are and kind of using them. And so, you know, like I'm not very good at bookkeeping. I have a bookkeeper. I have an amazing accountant. You know, I have an amazing assistant who helps me out with stuff. Um, So I think it's really important to kind of like identify those key people and also like delegate, like delegating is a very hard thing for a lot of business owners to do. But I find like the success that I feel personally in business and Mutual Muse's success has come through collaboration with other people on the team. So I'm very grateful for those people in my life. And I think that learning that I'm autistic and kind of recognizing that I do need a lot of downtime, you know, like I need to decompress from being out and being around people. I find speaking to a lot of people very draining sometimes, which is funny because that's my job. Like I'm working in a retail space and I'm talking to people all day long, um, which is great. And I really like that. But at the end of the day, sometimes I really need to just come home and do nothing, you know, and just rest. And yeah, so giving myself the space to have as much rest as possible, I think is extremely important for me. And whereas before I was diagnosed, I would be like, why do I need to be in bed all the time? Or why do I need to have all of this downtime? Like, it just doesn't really seem like other people need that. Like, why do I need that? If I could just try to be better, then maybe I wouldn't need that. But, you know, being better doesn't exist. I am better. I'm great. You know, this is just how my brain works. So. Yeah, well, I wanted to ask you about self-care, like what self-care does look like for you. How do you like not just related to autism, but just in general, how do you look after yourself? <laughs> when I read that question, I was, I'm actually a little bit embarrassed about how much self-care I do. <laughs> because, I mean, self-care is like so important to me and for me to be able to function at the level that I would like myself to function at most of the time. Um, so I think yoga is extremely important in my self-care. And I think that doing yoga actually kind of set me on the path to being able to explore myself to the point where I was able to receive my diagnosis because it just sort of opened up something in my soul, maybe, or, you know, like just learning how to move your body in a meditative way and just be present and be in a space like is essential for me. And so I think yoga has just been phenomenal for my self-care in general. Um, But then of course we went into lockdown. And so it's like, I have to learn how to live without a yoga class also, Um, you know, so just like gentle movement in general is extremely important to me. Um, I have a crazy healer who needs to be walked twice a day. So you know, I'm like out walking like three to five kilometers a day, which is really great. Um, But you know, like I love a massage, I love a facial, like I get my nails done all the time, like anybody who knows me knows that I have like crazy nails. So you know, yeah, yeah. It's like, I love nails. So you know, just like these kinds of things. Um, But yeah, also just like taking time when I need rest and putting my hand up at work or in my family and just saying like, I need space or like, I just need nobody to talk to me for a while or that kind of stuff. So I think that that is also felt very self-caring for me. That doesn't sound like embarrassing amount of self-care. I don't think you need to be embarrassed <laughs> about that. That just sounds, sounds good. Like, and it just does sound like, you know, yourself, you know what you need and you're okay to ask for it and to create that for yourself. Yeah. And so I think having been diagnosed with autism, you know, I have learned how to be better at asking for those things and for 
advocating for myself and like what I need, you know, and that happens with my team and that happens with my family and my friends. And sometimes it's as simple as just being like, actually, can I sit on the other side of the table? Cause that light is really right in my eye, you know? And I find that everybody in my life is very happy to accommodate that as long as I can verbalize it. So yeah, it's really great. Yeah. Amazing. And with something like that, like I wonder knowing that you have autism, does that make it more like you can ask for that? Like prior to having a diagnosis, would you have said that? Or can we swap sides? It would be better for me. No, I wouldn't have because I would have just thought like I'm existing in this space. I just need to sit here, you know, like, and so I think having a diagnosis really gave me the permission to kind of just say like, no, I don't want that. I want this. I feel more comfortable with this. Um, you know, and maybe if I was a different person, I wouldn't need that permission, but I'm really glad that I have it now. So yeah, it does make me think, gosh, you know, we all need to, whatever it takes to afford that to ourselves, we should get that, you know, like to be able to ask for what we need. And yeah, one aspect of being autistic, especially as a woman, um, is that we're very good at masking, which is a term basically that we're pretending to be neurotypical out in public for safety purposes, or also just because you want to blend in. Um, And so female autistics are very good at masking and blending in because we actually really like to spend time with other people and to be out in public. Um, And, but masking can be exhausting. And I think that anybody, neurotypical people mask too, but autistic people definitely do. Um, And yeah, so I've kind of been like, unlearning how to mask in public because, you know, having been raised as a neurotypical person for my entire life, I'm like, I need to perform like this or like this. And now, you know, it's kind of been like an unlearning process of like, actually, I can feel comfortable. I can advocate for myself. And if it's a little bit weird, then that's fine. So. Yeah. Love it. So we are out of lockdown and I am, I don't know if it's just the relentless optimist in me, but I'm hoping it's the last time. I'm like, no more. It feels like the last time. Like, I feel like it's the, I, but maybe I'm also an internal optimist. I really, (laughs) really want it to be the last time. Yes. Okay. Well, let's call it the last time for now anyway. So where are you at now? Like, what are you dreaming of? What are you planning for the near future or the far future? Well, my first priority, although I don't think it will happen first, is like I would love to go see my family in America because I haven't seen them in two years, um, which has been terrible. Um, But beyond that, you know, like I'm just really happy to be back at work and to grow my business. And I've been dreaming about a store on the west side in, you know, like maybe the Footscray area. And I've been looking at a lot of properties about that. Um, I would love to have a store in Sydney as well. So, you know, all of these things I had really big plans for before COVID happened. And then of course they'd all just got thrown off the table. So I think right now it's just about kind of picking up those pieces and figuring out what works for life now. So, yeah, but I have very big dreams and hopes for growing my business even more because I think that people need what we're, what we're doing. It's something about having a vision for something when you know that it's offering something worthwhile, Hey, Like it's not just for the sake of, I need to grow my empire kind of thing. It's like, actually, this is a really, really valuable offering in the world. And the more people who can be part of it, the better. I mean, people need secondhand options all over Australia. I mean, they need them all over the world, but like Australia is where I live. And so, you know, we have customers all over the country now with online, um, Yeah. And so people are constantly sending us messages like, what about a store in Brisbane? What about a store in Adelaide? You know, so I think it's just a matter of time and taking it, you know, at my own pace for what feels good. But I I do feel like it's going to happen. So I'm pretty optimistic about it. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Who knows? Maybe we'll find another place to do something together. Oh my God. That would be really exciting. (laughs) Like where you go, I go. (laughs) Well, I mean, I feel like we have all the same customers anyway. So people need yoga and fitness and they need secondhand clothes. It's like just a wonderful, wonderful combination. And so if someone was looking to get into business in the retail space or just sort of in general, any advice that you would offer someone just getting started, what would be the main thing that you would say? would say do as much research as possible. And if there are other businesses that are 
doing the same kinds of things that you want to do, like go to those businesses and study everything that they do and figure out what works for you and what doesn't work for you, you know, um, and talk to the owners, like talk to people who run businesses, you know, I find people are very happy to like talk to you and share their story with you. You just kind of have to reach out and say like, I would love to have a chat, you know, um, and they can always say no, but I think people are very happy to share. So just kind of like, talking to other people who do it and seeing what their stories are like is really helpful. Yeah. And then you just kind of have to rip the bandaid off and get it done. Um, you know, and be forgiving of yourself when it doesn't go exactly the way that you want it to. Because I mean, when I started my business, like it would take us like 10 hours to have a photo shoot to shoot like 20 pieces of clothes, you know, like we had no idea what we were doing. And now we can do double that amount in less than an hour, you know? So like you just grow and learn with time. And like my business did not look like it looks like now when I started, you know, all these things came with time and with energy and experience and, you know, getting other people on board. And so like, I would say, just give it the space to grow because I think a lot of people are like, I have to start this business. Like it has to be big and beautiful and, you know, but it doesn't, it, you can let it grow with you. So I would say that too. Amazing. So where can people find you, connect with you, with Mutual Muse? Uh, yeah, so you can find Mutual Muse. We have an online store, which is mutualmuse.net. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Mutual Muse and at Mutual Muse Shop, which is our online Instagram offering. Um, and you can find me personally on Instagram if you want to follow my account, which is mostly just videos of my dog, um, which is at Kiki LaRue. Um, yeah, you can find me there. Or you can usually find me somewhere around Thornbury and Brunswick as well. <laughs> yes. Just hanging out somewhere around there. Walking around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll put links to all of those in the show notes as well. Thank you so much. I so appreciate your time and yeah, just you sharing your story. There's, I mean, there's so much to it and, uh, yeah, I hope that people will connect with you and connect with Mutual Muse and love that the options are there for online, even so if people are not local, they can still find you. And Oh, yeah, they can find me online for sure. The online store is very happening. So, And if somebody wants to connect me with me and talk about autism things, I'm also very happy to talk about that kind of stuff too. And I would say also if somebody who's listening is thinking about getting a diagnosis, like go for it because it can change your life. But yeah, if you want to talk to me about that, I'd be very, very open to it. So send me a message. Thank you so much, Kirsta. Thank you, Annie. <laughs> we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Have a good Bye. day. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for joining me. Head on over to my website, anniecarter.com.au, where you'll find some free resources to support you in your life and leadership. Please make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And I would really love your help in spreading the word about Yes You. So if you have friends who you think would enjoy it, please let them know. You could take a minute to write a review saying why you're loving it. And you could screenshot this episode and share it on your social media. Make sure you tag me on Instagram at underscore Annie Carter. Until next time, let me remind you that you, yes, you are awesome. And I'm so glad you're here. Sending you big love and I'll chat to you soon.